Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You're listening to the Qalam Podcast. Qalam is an organization that is dedicated to making Islamic knowledge accessible to everyone. Alhamdulillah, Qalam has been able to serve so many people all across the world in so many ways. And now, Qalam has the opportunity and the ability to take its work to the next level. Qalam now has the ability to expand its offerings to people all across the world in so many different ways. Qalam is acquiring a campus, a home, where we can continue to do the work that we do and in fact increase what we do. But we need your help, we need your support to make that dream a reality. Go to qalamcampus.com and donate generously. Every single person listening to this podcast benefiting from Qalam, I need you to go there and donate and share that link far and wide and let's all of us come together, invest into our sadaqah jariyah and take this work to the next level. Jazakumullahu khairan. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Now enjoy the podcast. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. <clears throat> Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillahi wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhin astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rasul wa khatim al-anbiya. Wa ala alihi laskiya wa ashabihi laskiya amma ba'd. In our previous class, we were reading Sheikh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda rahimahullah ta'ala's um, comments on the work of Imam Al-Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala, in which he examines the amazing and sublime character of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Imam Al-Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala says, فَالْكَمَالُ الْمُعْتَبَرُ فِي الْبَشَرِ يَكُونُ مِنْ أَرْبَعَةِ أَوْجُهُ That excellence in a human being, completion in a human being is observed from four perspectives. That if we're trying to understand this amazing educator, this amazing teacher and mentor, and what made him so special, before we even go into the content and into the delivery methodology, we need to first look at the individual at the center of all of this. And we see that Rasulullah was at great completion and he was at a high pinnacle of, of character. And we are able to analyze what made Rasulullah so amazing by looking at four things. He says the first one was, كَمَالُ الْخَلْقِ وَكَمَالُ الْخُلُقِ وَفَضَائِلُ الْأَقْوَالِ وَفَضَائِلُ الْأَعْمَالِ So there are four things that we are interested in studying. And understanding these four things will give us a greater insight into what made Rasulullah um, such an amazing role model and example for us. فَأَمَّا الْوَجْهُ الْأَوَّلُ فِي كَمَالِ خَلْقِهِ بَعْدِ اعْتِذَالِ صُورَتِهِ فَيَكُونُ بِأَرْبَعَةِ أَوْصَافٍ So we've already discussed Rasulullah wasallam's physical features. If you recall, um, Shaykh Abdul Fattah Abu Ghudda ta'ala shared the riwayahs from Tirmidhi and so on, Hind ibn Bihala and others. We read those over the past few weeks describing the physical features of Rasulullah wasallam, the shama'il of Nabi wasallam. We also discussed the Prophet's character that was embedded within those narrations. So he said, aside from after we're done talking about his 
actual features, let's also look at some other elements of importance. When we say khalq and khulq, these are two words that are used. Right? He said kamarul khalq, number one, kamarul khulq, number two. Khalq with a fatha refers to the external features of an individual. How a person carries himself outwardly. Khulq refers to the internal features of a person. The internal aspect of a human being. So here, kamarul khalq, he says, فَأَمَّا الْوَجْهُ الْأَوَّلِ As for the first thing, فِي kamali khalqihi That helps understand the external completion of Rasulullah wasallam. What made him amazing as an outward person. We are now interested in looking at four things. So we're looking at the external features of Rasulullah There are four aspects of the Prophet that must be studied. Each of these are so valuable. Listen to them carefully. As for the first thing. Sorry, ahaduha, the first thing. وفي أعينهم أعظم وإن لم يتعاظم بأبها ولم يتطاول بسطوة بل كان بالتواضع موصوفا وبالسهولة معروفا So this first thing that he's saying the first thing that made Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam special was السكينة الباعثة على الهيبة والتعظيم Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had a calmness a stillness that resulted in the people around him having awe and respect for him. Being friendly is absolutely important. Interacting, socializing with people. But you will notice one thing that while you're being friendly and while you're socializing with people, if you instill in your interaction moments of you just pausing, brief pauses, Moments of just reflection and quiet. Moments of not saying anything. You will notice that people around you will respect you more. There is this hayba and ta'zim. There is this awe and respect that goes with someone that respectfully carries themselves with calmness and silence. And I've noticed this in my life that the more sukun and sukut a person has, the more quiet a person has, people tend to be a little bit more careful around that person. In particular, if that individual is already someone of virtue. Now, if someone doesn't have virtue and they're being quiet, you'd say, weirdo, and walk on. But if someone has grand virtue, they're great, very knowledgeable, intelligent, wise people. When they stay quiet, sometimes after their attendance, if they're doing an attendance in class, they'll just pause for a minute and stay quiet. Someone asks them a question, they'll just sit there for a moment, think about it, be quiet. You're in a drive with them, they'll sit there quietly for a long period. There's a hayba that comes from that. So Rasulullah he had this sukoon, this calmness to him. So he says, 
There was this calmness to Rasulullah that led people to respecting him. And this is the first thing that he lays out out of the external features of Rasulullah that he was a very quiet person, deep in reflection, in thought. So when you're sitting with your students, don't always talk and engage. There are moments of just quiet. They need to see that you can be still and that you also have moments of deep thought. You're not just speaking all the time and engaging, that you're talking too much. This is one thing that I always say about my teacher, Sheikh Yusuf Ta'ala, for those of you who've been with me, know that I always say that the one thing amazing about him that was wildly awe-striking about him was his silence. He's a very quiet person. And as a result of that, it was difficult, sometimes even conversing. And it wasn't difficult out of fear, there was just an awe that existed. I kid you not, it was difficult to look at him in the eye when you would talk with him. We struggled in doing this. Even though I was, had studied with him for close to a decade and had visited him for, visited him for another 50, 10 years of my life, but it was difficult to lock eyes and have a conversation with him throughout. It was, it was hard. Even when he would speak in a lecture, most of the students, you would see them lower their head down and just, you know, they wouldn't be able to lock eyes. First, I thought that this was not normal until I read the riwayah of Amr bin Asadi where he says that if I was asked to describe Rasulullah I would not be able to do so. This is Amr bin Asadi I mean, a great companion of Rasulullah who knew the Prophet prior to Islam from the Meccan days, from the old Meccan days. He's saying that if I was told to describe Rasulullah I wouldn't be able to do so. Because I couldn't look at him eye to eye out of just his awe. I would briefly look at him and turn away. Briefly look at him and then turn away. And then similarly, the, the riwayah where the Sahaba, they say that towards the end of the life of Rasulullah we had such awe of him that we would sit with our heads lowered down as if there were birds sitting on our head. This is the exact expression used that as if there were birds sitting on our head, everyone would be still and calm, and just sitting down with their gaze lowered uh, in respect of their teachers. So here they, we see this, he says, that a teacher needs to have some level of rab in the heart of the student. The student needs to have some regard, some higher regard. This applies with an employee-employer situation. This applies in a parent child situation, applies as an imam and muqtadi situation, and a teacher-student relationship. In all scenarios, and when the student no longer has ru'ab of their teacher, and all those barriers have come down, their ability to benefit from their mentor-teacher begins to decrease drastically. When you no longer have ru'ab of your own father and mother, the benefit starts weaning away. And that window closes down. That's why as a student, it's in your best interest to maintain that level of respect for your teachers. That even if you're playing sports with them, we would play sports with our teachers. One of my teachers, Sheikh Bilal, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower his mercy upon him and give barakah on his family, his health, his life. When we were uh, with him on the weekends, sometimes we'd play cricket together. And I sucked at cricket. 
I just pitch the ball normal instead of doing the whole shoulder wreck thing, right? <laughs> but even as students, when we played with him, we played with great respect. I'll be honest with you. There was never an imagination in our furthest thought or ever a desire that during the game, someone would even refer to the sheikh by his name, or someone would say something. No, we understood that this was just a moment of barakah, right? And if you want to have that competitive moment, go somewhere else. Now, this isn't to coddle the teacher. As far as he's concerned, he's enjoying the sport. He wants to play it full, fledged. But as a student, it's in my interest to never, ever, ever, ever lose that heba and wrong. Because if I lose it, he does not stand to lose anything. I stand to lose everything. So no matter what the situation is, that rob must be maintained. That heba must be maintained. Hence the emphasis on sitting a particular way when you're in the classroom. Dressing a particular way while you're in the classroom. It's to maintain that heba and rob. فَأَسْنَدَ رُكْبَتَيْهِ إِلَىٰ رُكْبَتَيْهِ when the description of Jibreel is mentioned, how he uh, positioned himself, how he dressed when he sat in the presence of Rasulullah. People had most haiba and ra'ab of Rasulullah. Until even the messengers of the Persian emperor. When, he, when they came to Rasulullah they were struck with awe. Now, you can say random people had never met someone as great as Rasulullah But here he points out that Rasul Kisra, the messengers, the ambassadors of the Persians. And then he also points out, these were people that had, ad- that had actually had a regular sitting with people of influence. You guys, these were people who sat with great rulers and generals on the day-to-day. But when they met Rasulullah they went quiet. They couldn't utter a word. Everyone was worried. I mean, not terrified, but there was a fear in their heart of this person, who he was. Even though they had sat with many leaders of the world, when these ambassadors sat in front of Rasulullah as we say in our language, right? They lost their energy. All that confidence went out the window. They sat there in a little bit of a fear, state of fear and tremble and awe. By the way, don't mix these words, I know I'm using them interchangeably, but you have to make a distinction in your mind. When we say Ru'ab and Hayba, we're speaking of awe here, not of terror and fear. Don't mix the two, right? A person is in awe of their father. They're in awe of a teacher. They're in fear of an oppressor. They in terror, they, they fear the terror of an oppressor. That's, these are different things. Don't, and you'll understand this point better. The, the, uh, what the awe of Rasulullah manifested in what it actually looked like on the day to day you'll understand this better when I cover point number two that uh, Imam al-Mawardi mentions because point number two that does a great job in explaining and helping us understand this point number one okay Athani, the second thing the second trait and we're talking about Kamal al-Khalq 
the completion of an individual externally. So in that, he said there are four things. Number one was as-sakinatu al-ba'ithatu ala al-haybati wa ta'zim. Calmness. Number two, at-talaqatu al-mujibatu lil-ikhlas wa al-mahabba. Al-ba'ithatu ala al-masafati wa al-mawadda. وقد كان صلوات الله عليه وسلامه محبوبا ولقد استحكمت محبة طلاقته في النفوس حتى لم يقله مصاحب لم يقله إذ لم يغضبه قلا قلا من ما ودعك ربك وما قلا أي ما غضب ولم يتباعد منه مقارب وكان أحب إلى إلى أصحابه من الآباء والأبناء وشرب البارد على الضمأ Okay, so the second point. What's the second thing he says here? At-talaqatu al-mujibatu lil-ikhlas wal-mahabba. At-talaqa. Anyone know what the word talaqa means? Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam used this word in one hadith. He said, Min husni um, um, uh, islam al-mar'i an talqa akhaka biwajhin talqin. What was that, Munif? Yeah, cheerful, jolly, happy. Talaqa means what, guys? To be jolly and happy, smiling at people. This is talaqa. So the first one was sakina, a calmness that led to an awe. But the second thing, you know how I told you the second point very well balances out that first point? It wasn't silence with a frown. It wasn't silence with anger. It was calmness that was accompanied with it was uh, accompanied with a smile, with joy. That when they looked at Rasulullah he was a jolly, happy person. Shaykh Yusuf was a quiet person. In my years of studying with him, outside of the classroom, for the first eight years, I can say confidently in, in the capacity of him being a teacher and we being students, I don't think I heard more than maybe 200 sentences in eight, nine years outside of the classroom. That's 200 sentences in eight, nine years. He didn't speak much. Mufti Taqi Osmani Saab came to England and he set up an opportunity, a time to meet with Sheikh Yusuf He had great respect for Sheikh Yusuf. So he came to the madrasa and Sheikh Yusuf used to live in the house in front of the madrasa. So Mufti Taqi Osmani Saab came to visit Shaykh Yusuf Mutala and he sat in front of him and they were just talking. Um, for those of you who've sat with Mufti Taqi Saab, he's, he's a very jolly person. He loves conversation. He engages with people. And on the other hand, you have this Shaykh here, Shaykh Yusuf Rahimullah, who didn't speak much. So as students, they had gathered around inside the house. There were a few students that were there and they were watching very carefully. I heard the story I wasn't in that room, by the way. I wish I was. I wish I was a fly in that room, but I wasn't. Sheikh Yusuf shared the story himself with us. He said, well, Mufti Sahib, I went to Mufti Taqi Uthmani came to my house. He was sitting there. He started telling me everything about his Islamic banking system and uh, how he was creating a model and he was presenting it to me and seeing uh, what my thoughts were. So he said he sat there and told me everything. Then at the end he said, Hazrat, what He asked Sheikh Yusuf that, so what do you think about this? 
idea of Islamic banking, by the way, mind you, this was some, this was a long time ago. So Sheikh Yusuf, again, not much of a conversationalist, he said to Mufti Taqisa, which basically means, oh, look how, look how nice the weather is outside. We're not talking about Islamic banking. But even though he was a person few in words, always smiling, always jolly and talking to people and engaging them. When we would go to meet Shaykh Yusuf, the first statement he would always say, he used to speak Gujarati. Anyone here speak Gujarati? You understand it? Okay. So uh, he, he used to always say one thing when we would go meet him and say salam. First thing, he would smile at us and say, came by, which basically means what's going on. Right? It was a very, uh, it's a very informal greeting, but it, it was a staple. So what's going on? So question mark, like what's going on? Very jolly and happy type person when interacting with people. Yet few in words. One time I was driving with Sheikh Yusuf. He needed a ride somewhere, so I was driving him. Allah gave me that opportunity. And while we were driving, he asked me this question. He said, Hussein, do you know why the world is in such a horrible economic crisis? I mean, did I tell you guys the story? No? So he once asked, he said, he asked me, he said, do you know why the world is in such great economic crisis? Like, just like that, that many words. So I was driving, young person, been to college, got a lot of random opinions and thoughts. So I started sharing everything. Well, the World Bank and, you know, um, and this and that, and crypto plays a big role. This was a recent conversation, by the way. And crypto plays a very big role, and there's this happening and that happening and inflation. And then he turned to me and said one word. He said, riba. And the way he said it, it was as if he was taunting me in a mentorship, in a mentor, as a mentor would. You talk too much. You have all, you have all these words to speak. The reality is riba. And initially I thought to myself, well, that's an oversimplification. But the more I thought about it, it was true that at the center of all of this was what? It was riba. In reality, it's that one principle that breaks, breaks every, every economy apart. The rich is greed to become richer at the cost of people that are vulnerable who have nothing to leverage. They got nothing else to hold. And that's basically every financial issue summarized in a word, riba. But that's what it is. Anyway, so talaqatul al-mujibatul al-ikhlasi wal-muhabba that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was very jocular and happy and smiling. So as a mentor and teacher and parent, what your children should remember of you, your smile. That's what they didn't remember. If Rabia here asked me, Father Rabia asks me, oh, so... Uh, What's one thing that I can give to Nuseba? I would say the one thing you need to give to her is that she needs to come into a state of consciousness and be alert of the dunya. 
while she sees you smile. That needs to be the first image she sees in the dunya. Mama and Baba smiling, that they're happy people, they're good people, they're jolly people. That's why the sunnah of Rasulullah wasallam to um, initiate uh, conversation or to enter or an exit a gathering with salam is so beautiful. That if you master your salam, you know how people practice their smile while they're sitting in front of the mirror? Weird thing to do, but you know who you are. Practice your salam. That when you walk into a room, your salam should have so much... It should be so energetic that it blows the roof off of the room. That people in the room feel like, what just happened? What just happened here? That kind of greeting. That if a husband is asked about his wife, that when you think of your wife, what's the first image that comes to your mind? Ideally, talaqatul wajh. Happiness. That if you ask the wife, tell me what you think about your husband. We have a lot of our quirkiness and we have a lot of weird stuff going on. You know, everyone's got their ups and downs. But in reality, if, I boil down to, if it boils down to something, I would say a happy human being. Once you've established that, now, ru'ab hayba, balance with this jolliness and that happiness, you have the right sort of equilibrium here. Now things are equal and there is a good balance. You guys understand this? Therefore, all the smiling of Rasulullah made him beloved, made him dear. Imam Dhahabi talks about two scholars who lived in one era, in one city, and even on one street. On one side, you had an individual by the name of Hassan al-Basri. No one figure. For those of you who don't know him, uh, Hassan al-Basri was nursed by one of the wives of Rasulullah So that kind of gives you perspective of what generation he's from and how great of an individual he was. One of the close students of Ali radiallahu anh and other Sahaba as well. Hassan radiallahu anh's mursal riwayat are known among the students of knowledge that when he narrates with Irsal, in most cases, who is he doing, uh, who is he skipping? Ali radiallahu anh, it's to avoid the fitna. Anyway, so that's him. But at the same time, in the same uh, community, on one side you had Hassan al-Basri, on the other side you had uh, Muhammad ibn Sirin. Who was there? Muhammad ibn Sirin. Another famous tabi'i. They were both tabi'is from the same generation, succeeded the Sahaba. And they were both from the senior tabi'is. Hassan al-Basri was a giant and Muhammad ibn Sirin was also a giant. Muhammad ibn Sirin, rahimahullah ta'ala, is commonly known in, uh, by many for his mastery in, in ta'bir al-manam, ta'bir al-ru'ya, in dream interpretation. Right? There is a book attributed to him in this regard, wallahu alam. Of the attribution, Allah knows best how authentically that book is attributed to him. Khair, may Allah give us tawfiq. So he says that the truth is, Ibn Sirin always had more students in his gathering than Hassan al Basri. This is not to say that he was more knowledgeable than Hassan al Basri or vice versa. They were both great and we have tremendous respect for both of them. But he makes an observation that. Ibn Sirin always had more students in attendance than Hassan al-Basri. 
And he says one of the reasons for this was Hassan al-Basri was a very serious type of person. He was an individual who they describe as that when you saw him walking in the streets, it was as if he had just returned from burying his own father. Those words, that's how they describe the guy. Like his normal stroll on the street was that. Constantly in tears, overwhelmed by the khawf of Allah, a lot of dhikr, a lot of dua. On the other hand, Ibn Sirin was a jocular, happy type person. He would go out to the market every day and just wave at people and say salam and, and say nice things to them. And as a result of that, people were just inclined towards him. Hassan al-Basri had a, 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 a significant number of great senior and serious students of knowledge. For those of you who have studied will know. And Ibn Sirin, in addition to having his, his core students, there was a large group of people that were always with him. So what we learn from this is that talaqatul wajh goes a long way. Being able to smile, being able to engage with people through uh, your jolliness. Now someone may argue, but that's not my personality. Smiling looks weird to me. Well, that needs to change. Right? Offering a smile, being warm, that's something that you need to work on yourself. Learn to open up your conversation with nice words. Practice with your own spouse, for those of you that are married. Practice with your own mother and father, for those of you who still live at home. I want you to push yourself. Can you guys do this, inshallah? This week, like sort of the homework, the assignment is, see if you can push yourself to initiate conversations with joy from your part, and be mindful of how many times you can strike a smile on the face of someone else. You don't need to make a big deal out of this, but I want you to at least be observant of your own ability. Are you capable of this? Where do you land here? And the, e the more you do this, the easier it'll become, and it'll become a part of who you are. Now, you become a perpetual, just like you become a constant source of love and guidance and warmth wherever you go. So he says, So now Nabi the love that people had for the type of personality he had, had settled down in the hearts of people. Settled. People knew that this was a good human being. He was a jolly, happy person. They weren't going to the gathering of a Scrooge. Astaghfirullah. They were going to meet with someone who was happy. Right? They weren't going to someone's gathering who was going to just be angry all the time. There was no fear. There was awe that also had joy and happiness built into it. Hatta lam yaqlihi musahib. Yaqlihi, I... I explained earlier means uh, to be angry that his companions would not have anger towards him and neither would someone that was close to him desire to distance themselves from Rasulullah and as a result of this happiness and this joy Rasulullah became more beloved to his companions than their own, uh, um, their own parents and children. Think about this. 
don't answer this, but just think about it. Are there people in your life who are more beloved to you than your own family members as a result of the personality they have? That you look at that person and you see the way they treat you. You see how they embrace you, how they care about you, how they make dua for you, how they smile at you. And at times you wonder, I wish my own family was able to do this for me. I don't find love in my own circle that I find from people who don't know me. Now, if that is your case, see if you can bring that change in your family by being the first source of love in that household. Like, initiate it, start it. Don't just sulk in that, in that, in that guilt or that horrible feeling. And the second thing is, ask yourself, you know, what can you do that's better? Like, how can I, so, so initiate, that's point number one. Point number two, ask yourself, what can I do to change this? Right, what can I do to change this? How can I change this cycle? Because if I don't change it, if I don't change the environment here, unfortunately, that'll end up becoming the environment there. The sort of stressful relationships you carry today with your spouse, with your parents, may end up becoming what you offer to your own children and generations ahead of you unless you do something about it. You have to change yourself. That if I want my child to grow up in a world where they're surrounded by love, where they're surrounded by hugs, where they're surrounded by never-ending kisses, I'll need to bring that into myself now. I need to become that person. I can't expect myself to magically become that. And if you can't let that be you, and then you only offer that to your child, disconnected yourself from the world and tethered your entire existence to one human being, or three human beings, or four human beings, your children, and as life goes on, you become, and I don't like saying this, but it's true, a burden on them. Because there is no other outlet that you have in your life other than them. That you're only able to live your existence through them because you've basically burnt the rest of the castle down. You've burnt all the rest of the village down. And it's a sad state that I see many parents in. And those children, when they're young, they appreciate it because there's a lot of love when you're young. But when you start hitting your teenage years, those very same kids, because I deal with these guys and girls, they end up saying, mama, I need a little space. And by 17, 18, they're saying, what do I do now? Like, I have a helicopter parent, won't let me go. I need therapy. Like, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I'm suffocating here. Create that happiness and distribute it. That become a loving person that's all around. Um, okay. Asalitu, the third thing. Actually, well, let's go ahead and read some today. Go ahead, you can read the translation. Go ahead, let's read now. Perfection and creation. Rasulullah is perfection and form and appearance is based on four attributes. First attribute, sakina, tranquility. That's a lot of echo. Yeah. Yeah. Naim, would you mind playing with these... Uh, Controllers while he's reading and see if you can uh, adjust them up and down and get rid of this echo. Maybe amplify the volume a little. 
Go ahead. Let's go. First, this quality inspires reverence, veneration, submission, and surrender. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was most awe-inspiring in the hearts of people, even the envoys of Khusru, the Persian kings who came to him, trembled out of awe for him. Although he did not display any grandeur, nor did he arrogantly display his power, this was despite their being, their being accustomed to the might of their own kings and the excess of other tired kings. Humility was his initiate attribute, and he was well known for his easygoing nature. So this is the point that I didn't point out, I didn't translate this, but this is a good point that Shaykh al-Fatah mentions. He says that they had great respect for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. A lot of respect for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Is this working? There we go. He, they had a lot of respect for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. وَإِلَّمْ يَتَعَاضَمْ بِأُبَّهَةٍ Even though Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam didn't carry himself with pomp. So you know this awe that we were talking about they had of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? It wasn't a result of theatrics. So people have a lot of awe of the seat of the president of the United States of America. Why is that? Right? It's there's like a, a million shows out there that have like this highly trained guards all around them. So these movies and these images, they they basically reinforce it again and again that this is someone very important, very important, very important. But Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam didn't play off those theatrics. It was it, people didn't have awe of him because there was a sign that said it, or because there was some really expensive thing going on, where they had some elegant chandelier. They say regarding the Persian general that he would wear a helmet that weighed over a thousand pounds. Sorry, he would wear a crown that weighed over a thousand pounds. Now, like any natural person, when you hear this, what do you think? That sounds like a good idea because his head should be a pancake. Well, in order to wear this grand, massive crown, because he wanted to be seen with it, they would have it suspended from the ceiling with thin wires that couldn't be seen. So when the guy would come, he would lower his head and fit it under there. It would be placed right above his head, lower his head and sit under there. So there was this grand, massive crown that, 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 that would be seen. Um, and this was their way of just, you know, their flex, if you wish to say. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa did not have that. So this is the point that he points out. Yes. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa did not have any political influence. Go ahead. Second This quality inspires devotion and love. It enhances sincerity and amiability. His sahaba loved and cherished his cheerfulness. After a while, followers often dislike. When you're cheerful and you're jolly, you gain access to the hearts of people. Once you gain access to their hearts, now their heart is your field to cultivate and to grow whatever you want. You can put whatever you want there. You can teach them good character. You can teach them the importance of being responsible. You can teach them to smile. You can teach them confidence. You can guide them to ilm. You can set the foundations of knowledge in their heart that they will continue to fall back on for the rest of their lives. Gaining access to the human mind and human heart 
is the crux of every relationship. As soon as you gain access to the mind and heart of another person, now you can do something. It's like an electrician who's looking for that electrical panel. They need that electrical panel. That's where it all comes together. That's where all the wiring converges. That's where all the power comes from. So you need to access that heart and that mind of every person through the smiling and, and happiness and joy, you can gain access to that area. And when you do, now it's yours. Guide the person. Water this ground all you want to. Put any seed you want in that soil, whether it's a spouse, child, any relationship, and you will see this person flourish into a beautiful bouquet. Amazing sense. A young child becomes an adult who's now ready to carry the ummah on their shoulders. And everyone else that knew them as a child looks up to them and says, wow, you were just a child in our community. Then you look back at them and say, well, now I'm caring much more than what I was when I was young. Because someone taught me, someone coached me, someone believed in me, someone accessed my heart, someone opened up my mind. It all boils down to those people in your life who can have that influence on you. So Rasulullah through his happiness and joy, was able to conquer those hearts. Because muhabba, love, is that link. Therefore he says, He was beloved to people. Their hearts were connected to him. Now Rasulullah was doing his thing and building them and helping them grow. Yes? After a while, followers often dislike some of the attributes that they perceive in their leaders. But this was not the case with anyone who accompanied Rasulullah No person who accompanied him ever disliked him, and no person who was close to him ever distanced himself from him. He was more beloved to his Sahaba than their own parents and children. He was more beloved to them than cool water is to the thirsty person. Well, the, well with, with, the, with the Sahaba and Rasulullah I mean, no other human being stands a chance to be more influential than the Prophet of Allah. Let's just get that straight. I mean, no matter how hard your parent is trying or your child is trying, I mean, once you meet Rasulullah it's kind of like, hold my Nabith. Like this is about to go down. You don't stand a chance because Nabi Wasallam's influence and his character was a whole different universe. There was no, com there was no competition there. There's nothing to compare against. Go ahead. Third action. This quality attracts and causes hearts to incline in one's favor with the result that people hasten in obedience and submission. Rasulullah captivated the hearts of people. His companionship was so firmly embedded in their minds that even the most afraid and distant from him would not feel estranged. Exceptions to these were, of course, those who were driven by malice to distress him and those who opposed him due to being deprived of guidance. Yeah, continue. For that the inclination of people to follow him, their ready acceptance of his resolutions, and their steadfastness in the face of the hardships and torments which they experienced because of him. No sincere individual or companion isolated himself from him. These four attributes are required for success and are the tenets of prophethood. They were found to perfection in Rasulullah and he fulfilled their requirements perfectly and appropriately. 
Okay, we'll stop here, inshallah. Uh, in our next class, if Allah wills, we'll cover the second of the four things. We talked about khalq. Next week, inshallah, we'll talk about kamarul khuluq. Mawardi rahimahullah ta'ala's discussion on the completion and the excellence of the character of Rasulullah that also contributed to him being the amazing human being that he was. Pray that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grants us tawfiq to embed these lessons in our life and for us to also be a beacon of hope, light, uh, hope, light happiness, and joy for those that surround us. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.